What's up, everybody? Welcome to Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. I am your host, Daniel Trainer. How are you? Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your ears. Today's episode is a very fun one, one I really, really enjoyed and I, I think learned a lot from, got some perspective from. Josh Dixon is my guest on this week's episode. Mr. Dixon is a uh, former Team USA gymnast uh, with a lot of wonderful lessons to teach, I think. Josh is a really interesting guy, comes from a really sort of uh, unique familial structure, which we talk about. And then Josh, uh, a very accomplished gymnast, obviously went to Stanford. We talk a lot about that. Uh, the struggles of being a collegiate athlete, particularly one who, at least when he started, was still in the closet. We talk about how he came out uh, at Stanford, came out as a gay man, and then how he transitioned to Team USA and eventually the Olympic trials where, uh, spoiler alert, Josh uh, did not make the Olympic team, but uh, was able to gain so much perspective in the process, which really catapulted him into the new chapter in his life where he finds himself now one that is political and socially active. And he's doing a lot of really interesting, cool things, particularly with social media and how he has sort of presented himself there. It's all really interesting. I think you'll you'll really enjoy that part of the conversation. Uh, Josh is, is great. And like I said, I, I learned a lot from him. And I, I think I sort of look at specific things in my life a little bit differently based on this conversation you're about to hear. So without any further ado, former Team USA member, Josh Dixon. So let's go back to the beginning. I, I know um, a little bit about your your upbringing and, and your childhood, but for those of us who don't know, can you tell me a little bit and, and you know about where you grew up and, and what kind of kid you were? Oh, okay. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, um, specifically in San Jose slash Los Gatos area. Okay. Um, in terms of, yeah, I, I do have a very unique family, um, but it, I'll, I'll give context as you, as you asked of um, my parents met at Santa Clara University, a private university in the Bay Area. They ended up adopting three children who are myself and my two older sisters. And, and what's unique about that is that technically we're all related because we all came from the same biological mother. We yes. all had... We all had different fathers, um, all three years apart, and yeah, it makes a very interesting mix because my dad's white, my mom's Japanese, my oldest sister is half white, half Japanese, middle sister is half white, half Japanese, I'm half black, half Japanese, and so it's it's kind of a source of giggling now that we're, now that we're older of it. It very clearly looks like I'm dating one of my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, gotta that, be that, fun for you guys oh yeah there there's been a few moments on either family vacations or if we're like going to a restaurant or something and i say dad and kira says dad or mika says dad and they turn <laughs> but then we start getting funky looks from people it's like wait what how does this work oh man you become the topic of conversation wherever you guys go Oh, yes. But yeah, we have a very, very, I would just say very Bay Area family, very diverse, very eclectic. Yeah. Um, I've never, I've never heard of something like that. Uh, uh, parents and a family sort of adopting kids from the same mother. Is that, is that a typical thing? 
I, you know, I honestly don't know. Did, and did I, your parents just stay in touch with your mom then? I mean, how did that work? Yeah, so it was, um, I think, I honestly, this this whole part is like kind of murky just because I've never really inquired from my parents just because I, I haven't had that extreme curiosity. But I'll have them on the podcast next. Yeah, exactly. My... My I know my parents had a very good relationship with the doctor who delivered us, uh. and my dad, being an architect and engineer, um, he worked on Dr. Upton's stuff for a very long time. So they had a they had a relationship, a personal relationship outside of oh hey like these these kids or this woman is putting up her child for adoption. Do you guys want to keep it all in the family? Right. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that's that's how the whole oh Margaret is giving up another child for adoption. Hey Michael Dixon, Kathy Dixon, do you want this child? And three years later, hey same scenario. Hey three years later, same scenario. So I don't I don't know if that was something that they actively sought or if it was right. kind of luck of the draw or just because they had a very good relationship with the physicians and medical staff in and outside of the arena of the hospital. Yeah. That's really interesting. Were you so? Are you guys close growing up? Are you close now? Oh yeah, that's also such an interesting question to me because we are so close. There is nothing that is unknown between any of us, and I, I, I am finding now later in life that having that that having that type of relationship with your siblings is not always the case. But yeah. it, that is never something that was ever crossed my mind of. Um, not having a close relationship with your parents or your siblings. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful that you guys were able to have that. I mean, it, it's such an interesting story. I, I'm just sort of fascinated by the whole thing. It's 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 really kind of special. Yeah. So what what kind of kid were you like growing up? Were you an athlete? When did you sort of get into uh, into sports? Yeah, um, I don't know. We've, we've always been a really active family in general. My parents are both really active people and – my oldest sister did dance and gymnastics. My middle sister did gymnastics. She ended up being a basketball and softball kind of savant and genius. And then I, I think I was either such a daredevil or just really hyperactive all the time um, and just loved running around, having fun, playing outside, getting into getting into mischief, jumping off really high things. Uh, <laughs> yep. Kind of playing around in the playground, getting injured, and and driving my parents a little bit crazy in the in the sense of oh well, we're not sure like <laughs> what what tree Josh is gonna decide to climb up today and jump out at the twenty foot marker or <laughs> he's gonna climb on the roof and jump off or something like that. So it was a I guess a natural progression to gymnastics. Uh, yeah, your I, parents are like we need to we need to put him somewhere. <laughs> He's, yeah. If he's going to be jumping off things, he should at least be doing it in some sort of controlled environment. Exactly. And we had my oldest, my oldest and middle sister, they both did gymnastics. We had some mats and panel mats and some gymnastics equipment in our backyard, just the very basic stuff that yeah. a lot, not a lot of kids, but that you would see in a everyday backyard. Um, and I, I would try what I saw my sisters doing when I would go with my mom to pick them up from practice 
And then there was there were a few open gym scenarios where I would go in and just see see how close I could get to near death, but somehow <laughs> somehow come out unsca- unscathed. You're just working out some of your inner demons as a child and through gymnastics. It sounds like. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was always just very much a daredevil, but at the same time, we all played multiple sports, and I played multiple sports up through. Um, up through high school. So it was never a pick one sport when you're five years old and that's it. (laughs) Right. Well, gymnastics is so interesting to me because it it does seem like a thing that a lot of people at a young age just do. It's sort of a thing that parents enroll their kids in. It's like, oh, hey, you know, Sarah's going to do gymnastics. And it's just sort of a thing for her to do to sort of stay active and maybe make friends. So like when, when you're doing it, when does it get to a point where you realize like, oh, he's actually really good at this. It's not just some sort of hobby. I mean, do you remember when you sort of crossed that line into, okay, this isn't just something he's doing for fun. This is something that he could actually do for a long time. Yeah, I would say probably around age nine when I had, I had moved into the the older kids group, I guess. Um, there, were, I remember so specifically, there are two training chunks. One was three to six and one was five to nine. And because the, the older guys, the older boys program, that coach really wanted to see what he could do with my talents that he saw from the younger coaches. He said, oh, let's move Josh into the older group a couple days a week just to see how he likes it, to see if he can uh, kind of keep up with this work and and challenge himself and be able to to listen and be disciplined the way these middle schoolers and high schoolers are doing, but right. when he's when he's nine years old and see if it see if it's still fun for him. Yeah. And it was. And my parents have always maintained, even through the end of my gymnastics career, of like just make sure it's fun. Because mm-hmm. if you're not having fun doing it, Number one, why are you doing it? And two, they were so – my parents were so good at being very hands-off and kind of you, – you see very often the parents that bring their kids to practice. They watch every second of that practice. They talk about the practice in the car ride. Right. Um, and it's just a lot of pressure. So they were, they were just making sure that, hey, if we're going to do it, give it your best effort and we can, we can only ask – that of you, but at the end of the day, make sure you're having fun. And it was, it was like, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the challenge. I enjoyed the, the number of hours. I enjoyed the kind of all of the struggles and unknowns and the kind of the open canvas that I had at such a young age to, to really try and make an Olympic team and get to the level of gymnasts that I would see on TV that I watched time and time and time and time again on my VHS tapes. (laughs) Oh, now you're aging yourself, Josh. Oh, yes. I mean, listen, I relate, unfortunately. So, I mean, the world of gymnastics is interesting to me, like you were sort of saying, with these sort of hovering parents. I mean, it's a world that seems 
very intense, you know, from the outside. And there are obviously a lot of stories about, you know, how that can be. I mean, as you grew up in the sport, you know, I assume having parents who were, you know, very chill and cool about it, like you were saying, helped a lot. But, you know, when you're a nine-year-old kid and you're progressing through the sport, I mean, does it get intense pretty quickly in terms of demands on you and your schedule and stuff? I mean, as you progress, you know, how crazy did it kind of get? Um, let me think. I'm trying to think. I've never, it was never, I want to say crazy in a sense of traumatic. Yeah, it was, I had to learn very quickly how to manage my time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And my parents were integral to that of first and foremost was our education. Um, I went to public school all the way up through call up, up until college. And it was, it was stated very early on that if you're not performing in school, all these other extracurricular activities, those are on pause until you're doing well in school, doing well with your friends, making sure you're interacting well with your teachers. And there were, there were several nights where it was, okay, Josh, you finished dinner at 9.30 p.m., get out your homework. My dad, my dad would sit and make sure that we all finished our homework. There are several times where he was essentially doing my homework for me or dictating sentences that I needed to write. <laughs> I had to sit there and do it to understand that, okay, if you want to do one thing, you got to do the other. And these are not mutually exclusive events, gymnastics and education or sports and education or extracurriculars and education. So I learned, I learned that very quickly of, you know, if, if I feel sick in the morning and be, Oh mom, I don't think I can go to school today. Her first response was, well, then you're not going to practice. Yeah. And, and immediately I would be, I'd be just fine to go to school. <laughs> Somehow you rallied. So, um, yeah, it, I don't ever remember it getting overwhelming. I just, I knew that there was always something to do. I never had too many breakdowns or tantrums in the nine, 10, 11, 12 year old phase. <laughs> Not too um, much. My parents and sisters would probably say otherwise, but <laughs> yeah, I just, I just remember my parents doing a very good job at making us, all of us understand that, okay, you go to school, you do your homework, you hang out with your friends, you give your best foot forward always. If you fail, that's okay. Um, but just make sure that you're giving your, your best effort. So when you're when you're in high school, what is a typical day like for you, especially as you get into like junior and senior years and this stuff is becoming even more serious? How how often are you at the gym? Is it is it every day? Yeah, it was Every day, um, I'm trying to think when I kind of made that switch to specifically gymnastics. I would say sophomore year of high school um, was kind of a, a go no go juncture of, hey, you're you're pretty good at this thing. Um, you see these guys in college, and college was kind of a a no brainer. It's like, okay, you're going to college. It's just a matter of which one yeah. and, and which, which collegiate program would you like to compete in now that you're starting to get a little bit stronger, starting to develop as a, a top tier junior elite athlete. Um, and so the typical high school day, I, I mean, we started pretty early. We started at seven o'clock. We finished at 
two o'clock, which is kind of a wonky schedule for high school students. But yeah, at seven, finished at two, I would do homework and I would go to the gym at about four o'clock until about eight o'clock Monday through Wednesday. And then Saturday, Sunday were off. And that was looking at it now that was actually very atypical um, given that a lot of student athletes during high school, specifically for gymnastics, they're doing morning practice, afternoon practice, contemplating homeschool. Um, but yeah, my, my coaches and parents were very insistent upon, okay, let's just maximize the time that you're in the gym only only go five days a week as to not burn out, and um, that ended up balancing nicely with my my schedule and making sure that I was still having fun with it all. Yeah. So you're so busy as as a kid in high school. Are you are you thinking at all about your sexuality? When does that start coming into play? Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Question of the hour. So. <laughs> Honestly, I really didn't think about any like dating or girls or like what that even looks like because I well, I you're so I mean you you're so busy I mean right it's like how you know I assume not to be use a cliche sort of phrase here but it's almost like you were like you know dating gymnastics right I mean that's what you were spending all of your time on outside of school I imagine it was difficult to focus on anything else. Yeah, I, yeah, it just really didn't come into my radar of I was perfectly fine like not going to a school dance or not placing importance on going to parties on the weekend or getting into the typical high school trouble. Yes, I hung out with my friends and public school was very much of my social life and I, I loved that about it because at school, yeah, I could interact and be social and still study and do the whole school thing. But at the same time, it, it served a dual purpose of a, it's like, okay, I am not an isolated freak of like, I'm only doing sport. I don't have friends. It was school was school served as part of my social life as well. And the, the thinking about who I want to date sexuality, it just really, I didn't really even think about it until college just because I was so either tunnel vision focused on, getting into the university I wanted for gymnastics, getting better at gymnastics and really pushing the envelope in the world of sports. Yeah. Cause I knew, and I had seen time and time again that that, that duration or that window of opportunity for sports could be cut at any moment based upon any number of factors, namely injury that I really just wanted to maximize that while I was, while I could, while I had the opportunity, and while my mind and body were still able. Yeah. So you you end up going to Stanford. Is is that where you wanted to go ultimately? Yeah. It's funny thing about Stanford is it of all the college recruiting trips and the uh, kind of looking at collegiate programs, Stanford came into the mix last. And it was actually the most uncomfortable choice Why? For, because I I knew so much about the other programs that I was being recruited to. Where, where else did you look? Uh, I was looking at Michigan. I was looking oh, at no. 
the Naval Academy. I looked at Nebraska. I looked at Iowa. I looked at Cal. Very, very, very. I had a very heavy decision to make between Cal and Stanford. Um, my coach did his collegiate gymnastics at Cal. A lot of my teammates in the Bay Area went went to Cal. Um, I was just very. I knew those guys. I knew the coaches. I had worked with that coaching staff. And then in comes Stanford of, okay, here's this program. Everyone knows they're successful, but I didn't know anything about the coaches. I really didn't know too much about the gymnasts who were currently there. So it was very much an unknown. And when you're 17 years old, it's like that unknown is like, oh, like WTF, that's kind of an uncomfortable decision, but, but it's Stanford. So you have to take a look at it. Sure. Um, and I actually ended up obviously making that decision be based upon the, oh, here's something that is probably, I'm, I'm going to be just fine in the terms of, in terms of gymnastics. Um, but it's, it's a little bit of an unknown. And I, I like that the, the, myst- the mystere of it all. And, but obviously it's Stanford. So it's not too mysterious in the, the echelon of people that it produces and the, the caliber of um, or the level in which you're expected to operate. Yeah. So there's an expectation there, but it's an unknown construct of how one gets there. It's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like 99 people out of 100 in your situation would have just gone to Cal for all the reasons that you just laid out. The fact that friends were going, you knew people there, you know, it, it felt very comfortable. It's interesting that you chose the uncomfortable route. Yeah, I just it was and I had competed there every year since I was six years old. I knew I was familiar a little bit with like at least what the arena looked like, the gym and stuff. Yeah. But outside of that, I was like, Ooh, Stanford for me seemed like this, this bubble, which it very much is, um, of this bubble of unknown that produces something great. So why not jump into that? How far away is, is campus from where you were living with your parents? Yeah. Stanford is about 25 minutes from home. So it was, a. Uh, very close to home. Um, was that I, good? Did you? Did you? Was there any party that wanted to get a little bit further away? Honestly, not really. Because I, mean, I it knew- could have been in Iowa. Oh yes, <laughs> don't remind me. Uh, <laughs> although one of the coaches that was very integral to my development in in and out of the gym is currently the head coach at Iowa. Oh, there you go. There uh, you go. We love I. We love Iowa. The he was. Sorry, I'll give more context. He was the assistant coach at Stanford and moved halfway through my time at Stanford to take on that position at Iowa. Okay, cool. Um, uh, Yeah, the proximity to home, it never really bothered me um, of being close, being far, just because I've been pretty independent, I would like to think, and my parents – have also stated several times that they weren't ever concerned with where I went and, mm-hmm. uh, if we were close to home or far and they Stanford being so close, they did a very good job at kind of keeping their distance. Obviously that they, they loved it in the fact that any home meet or any Bay area meet they could go to very easily, but they weren't like knocking on your dorm door every other. Uh, day. No, 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 no. They were, 
they're very chill about when 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 to come up and when to engage and when to kind of just oh yeah josh will reach out to us like yeah 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 so so you get there and then how soon into being on on campus and, and being in college do you start thinking about your sexuality then? Is that when it really comes into play, when you're like out on your own and, and finally, you know, sort of forming into, into, you know, a man, into adulthood? Is that when you start taking a step back and saying, oh, what's going on here? Yeah, I would say probably at some point through my sophomore year, I started thinking about it. Freshman year, one, I was... I'm a year young for my grade, so I, I entered at 17 years old, so I was still like total novice newbie teenager. Um, yeah. Then the first year is just such a tr- transition in, oh my God, everyone here is so brilliant. <laughs> You're. I can't even imagine. I mean, it just sounds insane. And also just to be, you know, I've, I've talked to, you know, many people on the show who uh, were collegiate athletes. I mean, just from my own perspective, just going to college a- as a freshman is insane enough. It's intense enough. And then to add on, you know, being an athlete and having those demands and those expectations that I mean, that just makes it doubly difficult, I would imagine. I mean, I, I can't imagine how insane that must have been for your first couple weeks. Yeah, it's a unique experience, but at the same time, I I also look at it as like such an opportunity to be thrown into that craziness, right? Because everyone yeah. has a story, everyone's doing something. Any freshman, whether they're an athlete or not, it's a huge transition. But I was like, okay, you have like you don't have to, you get to. So it's every everything's new. You're in, you're deer in the headlights. Your school's so much harder. The, your your physical output in training is at a whole different level. Um, for myself, that was actually very difficult because I was I I'm ve- I was very much a late bloomer um, physically, and I I was like oh man like I can't keep up and I I probably won't be able to keep up with this level of uh, output just because like I'm physically just not strong enough. I haven't matured enough in that space. So that was a, a definite struggle mentally and physically to kind of acclimate to that, um, output in mm-hmm. the gymnastics arena, but it ended up being, it ended up being all right. Yeah. Uh, things worked out. Okay. Cause we, we did some good things on the Stanford team and I could attribute a lot of that success to my coaches and teammates, but yeah, the, the I guess the quote unquote level up nature of just life as a freshman, especially as an athlete. Yeah, at that institution is um, challenging, but as expected, and a, and a very much a privilege as we're finding out with all of these <laughs> college admission scandals and everything. Throw them under like, the bus, Josh. Yeah, it's that that pressure, as Billie Jean King would say, that pressure is a privilege and. Yes. However much we we say it was really hard and really hard to acclimate and it sounds like very much first world problems. I also have kept a very good perspective of just college in general in the United States is a privilege. So mm-hmm. uh, community college included, um, I always kept that perspective when it was, oh, I'm, I'm at my breaking point. I'm at I'm pushing my limits physically, emotionally. Uh, mentally, but at the end of the day, that 
you're in a very privileged setting. So that kept kept me grounded to some extent. Yeah. So freshman year, you're getting your bearings. And then sophomore year, you said you start thinking about your sexuality. How does that play out? Yeah, it played out in the sense of, okay, like friends of mine are having boyfriends, girlfriends. I was like, okay, where do I sit in this spectrum? Um, girls, eh, not really attracted to them. Um, kind of, maybe I, I was like, mm, maybe I have to keep it up as a, uh, false pretense of my own sexuality. Cause I was like, Oh man, what if I'm gay? Or what if I like guys? Like, is That's so weird. It was, what was it was 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. totally different, uh, level of acceptance, or at least from where I stood at that time. But looking back on it, I was like, okay, you're at probably one of the most accepting universities in one of the most accepting environments in the Bay area. Uh, Josh, what's your deal? But, um, yeah, I, it played out and yeah, I was like, okay, very quickly. I don't like girls. Eh, <laughs> kind of like, I was like, okay, these guys are pretty attractive dudes walking around campus. All these athletes. I mean, I'm surrounded by, gymnasts all the time of which yeah you've got yeah i mean you've got some nice things to look at yeah i was like it's just so funny because from a young age you you train in pretty much nothing like shorts or short shorts but no shirt because you have to see you have to see your line it's all about the aesthetic of what it looks like so it was you're just i accepted that there's these really fit guys around you all the time because that's the nature of the sport. You have to be very athletic and very uh, aesthetically pleasing because you're literally judged on what that looks like. Yeah, sure. Um, um, but yeah, it was probably soft end of sophomore year. I was like, okay, pretty sure I like guys. That conversation was still at that juncture was very hard to have with myself. And there were, there were moments of like, okay, I can't tell my closest friends because this is really scary. I feel like I have a lot to lose. Uh, I don't even know who to start talking to this, who to, who to even go to about this. So I, I kept it like to myself and had those internal struggles for a period of time during college. But eventually, the subsequent year, I actually came out to uh, – one of, one of my friends who was on the junior national team at a different university because um, it seemed safest of, yeah. oh, they're halfway across the country. He's, he's gay. He's out and has, I guess, in my mind, been through what that perception or what that roller coaster is. So it seemed very safe uh, to do. So how, did you, how did you tell him? Uh, it was actually via a phone call and then we actually ended up hooking up at, <laughs> oh, okay. at, at, at a collegiate championships the following year. I was like, okay, well that was, that's fun. And that's, that's that. And we remained very good friends. Um, that's a beautiful story. I was like, Oh, it sounds so romantic, <laughs> romantic, but looking back, I was like, okay, here's these. 18 and 19 year olds or 19, 20 year olds just having fun in college. And then from there, it was a movie to me, honestly. Oh God. uh, Very much of a a gay saga. Surprised that hasn't been made yet. I might option, (laughs) I might option the rights to that. You'd be surprised on how many, how many teams are 
collegiate sports that this happens. And oh, we, I need to ask more questions about that. But, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not here to out anyone. Or no, no, no. I don't need specific names. I'm just, I'm just interested in the world. I think it's fascinating. But okay, so you come out, so you come out to this, your friend. And then does it sort of just start to uh, to unravel? Uh, unravel is not the right word. Does it just start to evolve from there? I suppose Do you you know is that like you know you feel comfortable with him, and then you start telling other people in your life. Yeah. So it, it it's still after that and after that kind of uh, revelation of like okay, you like uh, that conversation was still a little bit difficult to have with myself. Of okay, what are the next steps here? Like. WTF, it's, I'm now three years into my collegiate journey. Uh, like, it'll, will it be a shock to people? Will, will some of these friends not accept me for, for that? And it was still, like, very much in the closet. And then I had, I had met a, a fellow athlete at Stanford who, to this day, still means the world to me because he allowed me to, to see firsthand being on a being on a sports team at Sanford, being out, um, kind of just being yourself and showing me that that was like that was so accepted and just the the way to go, the way the way to live, and it was actually a value add because oh here's this guy here here's someone who's brand new into my life. He's out on his team. He's very good at his sport. And his teammates embrace him for that difference of like, oh, like, yeah, we have a gay guy in our team. Right. And it's kind of like a standout point and like a, a, a source of pride for that team or a source of, oh, we celebrate that this guy, one, he's very good. He's a good person. He's he's superb athlete, leader on the team. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like, why haven't I? It took me all this time to realize that that's that's a reality. I should not have qualms about who I am mm-hmm. um, in terms of sexual orientation because, frankly, it's I'm seeing firsthand that it's it's something that is actually celebrated in this environment and not to shy away from. And so it wasn't until kind of developing that friendship relationship um, with someone who is so totally new to my life, to my friend group. And that I started to become comfortable with who I was and then telling friends, telling family. Actually, I told the grouping of teammates who were a year younger because it seemed, frankly, still a little bit safer mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't have as much to lose with them as I do with my class because – I've heard, I've heard in my class some not so nice rhetoric around all things gay or, oh, that's so gay or the, the quote unquote locker room talk that really I was taking into heavy consideration subconsciously of like, oh, like, okay, well, I don't know how I'll be accepted because I've heard them say one thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, so, I, I'm honestly surprised to hear that that was going on you know, in gymnastics at Stanford. I mean, like you said, it's hard to sort of envision a more progressive place. But, you know, I I think the thing with, you know, quote unquote locker room talk is so much of it is just subconscious. You know, people aren't really thinking about what they're saying. I mean, is is that the vibe you kind of got? Yeah, it was it just it just wasn't talked about of 
like, oh yeah, like that guy's gay or not even in the gymnastics space. There was never any, any talk about LGBT inclusion. It was always like, oh, that, that photographer, he's creepy. He's probably gay. He's just trying to get photos of us at competitions for his gay, for his gay agenda, which, Jesus. <laughs> which is like, yeah, we did have kind of creepy, creepy fans. <laughs> And I could see some validity to that, but it was gay was always spoken about with a negative connotation, right? Um, which I was it. It was just like it, I had to take pause, and it was never of like you never heard conversations of like, oh yeah, my uncle's gay, his husband or his partner or something positive. Yeah, uh, looking back on it, my coach at that time, his brother is gay and he talked about that in a positive light, but I never really focused in on that cause I was so in my own head. Um, and yes, and I, I had wonderfully supportive teammates. Um, but it, yeah, the whole, it just, the positivity around LGBT inclusion in the sports space was never spoken about or, yeah. or, really really a concerted effort to make that known um well so then you come out to to the younger you know group how does that go it, it went well i remember so specifically it was we were we were about to go out because i was i was seeing this guy there's there's a lot of uh inner team sorry cross team dating between another program and our program on the guys having girlfriends on that team or hanging out with girls on the, on that team Wait, on at, the, uh, in in a different sport you're saying or a different school different sport so a lot of the men's gymnastics guys were seeing or flirtatious or dating a lot of the women's swimmers at the time <laughs> i was i am obsessed with this yeah i was i was seeing and uh, i don't know the the first parts of dating a, a male swimmer what uh, is this cross-pollination of gymnasts and swimmers? Where does that come from? Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of cross-pollination of, of NCAA teams. But we were – I was over there with the guys hanging out with just the, that, that group. They were juniors at the time as a senior. And one of them asked like, oh, hey, is Matt coming out with us tonight? And I was like, oh. Like my heart just stopped. And I was like, oh, my God, they know. Yada, yada, yada. But like – it was, I was like, of course they know. Like, who's this? Who's this brand new friend of mine who I'm spending every waking moment with? Right. And these incognito sleepovers, and like, they all knew. Like, I was like, looking back on it, I, I was so stupid to think that they didn't know. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it was so nonchalant. So like, oh yeah, like, come on, like, like bring this guy around. Like, we we all want to like see you two hang out. And we're, we're just happy that you're happy. And that was, from then on, it was kind of a, okay, well, this is a thing. And it's such a nonchalant thing. And that's it. So and was there was there never really like a coming out moment? It just sort of happened? I mean, they it just. Yeah. There was never really a, oh, my God, guys, let me sit you down. Because <laughs> I've heard, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I've heard those stories before, too. I mean, where it's literally like getting up 
on you know a podium in front of the whole team and it's like a speech or it could be something like you where it's just like something completely nonchalant where you never even have the conversation one day you realize it's just accepted and that's how things are you know i I think that's kind of cool you know where it was just you, you didn't have to have this big moment you were just accepted by these guys in a way that you know you'd been so frightened of for so long i mean that must have been such a relief for you Oh, it was a major relief, and I attribute a lot of my success that year and growth that year in the sport to that relief. Um, and this is this is your junior year. This is my the beginning of my senior year. Oh my god, it seems so. It seems like so long ago now. Um, yeah, well, it was. Be- I hate to be- tell you, it was. Yeah, I know. I was like, I'm old. Yeah, you um, both, buddy. It was the beginning slash November, December, January portions of my senior year. And I had made exponential improvement in the gymnastics arena. Um, I, I had placed a lot of pressure on myself of the previous year, I was expected to do a lot of great things in the sport and fell, fell a little bit short. Um, two of my teammates had done those expected things and made the jump to the, the senior Team USA level. And I was like, okay, what's holding me back? And come to find out, it was, it was that discussion and that openness of who I was outside of the gym yeah. that allowed me that freedom to kind of navigate inside the gym with just so much like so much freedom. I was like, yeah, this is, this is very hard. I'm killing myself every day training, but okay. Like just accept the fact that that's the case, work your ass off and Mm -hmm. good good things will come of it. I don't have to worry about what people think are thinking of me as being gay. I'm, I'm worrying now only about, okay, Josh, are you maximizing your every second in existence in training to reach the levels of the sport that you want to? And don't if you're not that regret is not worth having so let's right. just let's just hop to it get to it and see what we can do do in the sport and I, I ended up making the senior national team that year I ended up having a lot of success in gymnastics I ended up we ended up winning the NCAA championship and I I honestly think if it weren't for that that guy coming into my life who I'm still very good friends with to this day um, and navigating the the ebbs and flows of coming out and kind of being yourself, the things that you're supposed to do starting freshman year in college, um, I would not have made those market improvements in, in my in my athletic career. Yeah, I mean, that's a story that gets told on this podcast a lot in terms of, you know, eventually coming out and then seeing success. Um, elsewhere in life. I, I think that's such an important lesson for people to to learn and to hear. I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing, really, that, you know, as soon as you become your fully formed true self, you see so much, you know, success in, in your sport and in your life. I think that's such a, a great lesson for people to learn. And also, like, you know, you say, you know, maybe you're supposed to come out freshman year. I think, you know, you, you sort of did it when you're supposed to do it, right? I'm sure looking back, it all feels like everything happened in its right time, I, I assume, right? Yeah. Um, or, do you wish, my... or do you wish you would come out earlier? Yes, that is my... Just seeing 
and knowing what that did for so many other um, arenas of my life, I was like, oh man, I would have had a full body. I loved my time at Stanford. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I wouldn't change it. But having that type of freedom to navigate how I, how I felt like earlier in my collegiate existence, yeah. I, was like, Ooh, yeah. I would have had a, an even greater experience and who knows what, what, what that might have translated into in terms of sport performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that is definitely a regret of mine. Um, but yeah, it, everything happens for a reason all in, all in due time. I'm just, I'm very glad that I had that experience in college and came to that realization while I was still in college. Yeah. Um, and very much still see that as a, um, a privilege to have, to have that experience ever. Cause I know for so many other people, it is not sunshine and rainbows and not a pleasant experience yeah. coming out even in college. Um, so yeah, just keeping it in perspective to not kick myself or beat myself up too much of, Oh man, I wish I would have done it sooner. Um, to realize that, it happened for it happened at that time for a reason, and that it's that in itself is very much a privilege. So then, so you're done at Stanford, and so walk me through what happens next. I mean, I know sort of the 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 big parts of the story, but you know, so you're done there, and then and then what happens? Yeah, so it's, the end of Stanford was interesting because right after the NCAA program, we, we won in April and we had team USA stuff that really, really, really ramps up for the summer, summer months. And our world championships are always October ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, great. I, I finished a great collegiate career. That was really cool and fun. Like now that I'm at this new level, I'm still, I'm still grinding away. I'm still very much committed to the Olympic games that are next year. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the Olympics, I mean, for, for how much of your life are the Olympics the goal? I mean, when when's the earliest point in your life you can remember saying, that's where I want to be, that's what I want to do? Oh, since I was four or five years old, you, you see it on TV, I would, my friends and parents and sisters could all attest to, I was, I was literally obsessed. I would watch tapes and tapes of Olympic trials and national championships and the 1992 Olympic games where you see Vitaly Sherbo win pretty much every, every gold medal that you can, um, except for high bar. And I was so like in love with the idea of like, I want to go to the Olympic games because of what the Olympic movement means. The just, it's like really cool. And I want to do it in this sport. And exiting my collegiate career at Stanford, I was like, Oh wow. Like I'm in a position to, to realize that dream of mine. Of yeah, course, you're, the- you're at the precipice of this thing that you've been, you know, thinking about your entire life. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to see. I was like, Oh wow. Like you're, you're almost there. Like, and you have an opportunity to get there. Obviously the Olympics are the pinnacle of our sport. So I would be dumb to not, kind of build off of this momentum and all the progress that I've made year to date or lifetime to date. Um, 
And I actually had a very unfortunate and untimely injury that made that decision very difficult. So about two, three weeks after our collegiate championships, we were at a national team training camp at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. I ended up rupturing my Achilles tendon. Um, the timing of it was, it was good and bad. Good that it happened after I was done with my responsibilities to the Stanford program. Mm -hmm. Bad in the sense of, oh, well, there goes my summer. There goes, there goes 2011 of gymnastics. Um, just because we knew that it's a kind of common injury in the sport. Or actually, I don't want to say common. It's not foreign to that sport to have that injury. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, well, surgery. Then no not much of anything for four months. So is there yeah. any, is there any part of you that is like enjoying that after like having worked so hard for so long, is there any part of you that over those four months was just able to relax and be like, Oh, this is nice to not have to just bust my ass. No, it was really weird. I actually almost quit. Um, I, it, it was a, it was just a really weird juncture of like, okay, one, this, the second guessing games came came into play of like, can I get back? Would I get back? Is it worth it to get back? I just finished college. Like, we're, I'm always assessing what are the next steps? Do I continue with the sport? Because as of this time, I'm worthless. I'm rendered useless in my sport. I have no contributions to the Stanford team because I've graduated. I have no contributions to the United States team because I literally can't walk. So, yeah. so I was like, okay, every, as one of my mentors would say, every anchor point of mine was just unanchored. So you're, you're free floating and you have no idea what to do and you're having to relearn how to walk. So I, I actually almost just quit and said, okay, done this. This is a great ride. Let's figure out what I want to do after college. But I, I had experienced regret before in terms of coming out and I was not willing to have that regret of the what if I would have continued. So it, yeah, it was okay. a, the rehabilitation process will take place. I still had an extra quarter of school, so I knew I would be in the Stanford area for October or for September through Christmas. Um, and then during that juncture, I... I decided, it's like, you know what, the collegiate construct and training program is very unique, but it it lends itself at that time um, to at the, at that time at the Stanford program and kind of just the level of gymnastics in the United States. I was like, ooh, I really can't get to that next level um, if I stay in this program. So I actually ended up moving to the Olympic Training Center the day after Christmas oh. uh, ho, of, ho, ho. In the, of 2011, and I spent the subsequent four years training and kind of giving it my all to the U.S. program based out of Colorado and, and yeah. the amazing U.S. Olympic Committee program and training structure that's there. And it, it allowed me to kind of level up yet again and maintain uh, the level of sport performance that's needed. There's also a lot of little logistical items with uh, 
frankly, healthcare and service providing of, okay, if you're, if you're training, eating, sleeping, eating, sleeping, competing at that level, your body is going to get put through the ringer. And if I were to do that type of training at Stanford, I was like, Oh, actually they have no obligation to treat me, to take care of me, to do the sports medicine thing, which ended up being a daily occurrence, whether you're healthy or, or injured, you need that constant maintenance. And the U S Olympic committee and USA gymnastics were very good at providing that, uh, at the Olympic training center for the resident program for the U S men's national team. So that was, that was the right move logistically. Um, and just needing a different environment, a different set of challenges, a different set of acceptance of, okay, you, you gotta be made uncomfortable. You got to be comfortable being made uncomfortable every single day mm-hmm. to reach that next level that you're trying to get to. So you're, so you're in Colorado for how long? I was there from December, 20, December 26, 2011 up through August of 2016. And so, I mean, your life is just, it's gymnastics 24 seven at this point. Yes. I mean, what, what's, what's a typical day like? Oh, the typical day is you get up, uh, get up early, you eat breakfast, you go to sports medicine, you get treatment or maintenance. You go to, you go to your first practice. It's about three hours. You eat lunch you take a nap, you get back up, have a snack, go back to sports medicine for rehab or any type of preparation for your practice. You have another three-hour practice, you eat dinner, you go back to sports medicine and do recovery or use any of the modalities like hot tub, cold tub, sauna, compression, ice, massage. Uh, you, You eat dinner number two, uh, go back, chill out in your rooms, and rinse and repeat, and do it. Do it about six days a week. What's, Sunday, what's, Sunday you insane. chill out. That's and insane. Then, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, what a way to live. I mean, is it? Are you like? Are Are you happy? Are you Are you so focused on this thing that it, it's difficult to really interpret where you are, sort of mentally? I mean, it, it seems like being so zeroed in on something is such an intense way to live. Yeah, it was. It was when you're in it, you don't really think much about that intensity or that um, kind of tunnel visionness. Um, it was definitely very intense mentally and. At some moments, it was not fun, and you feel a little bit suffocated, but the way I would com- combat that is to keep it in perspective of, hey, look, when you were six years old or seven or eight, nine, ten, you saw these guys in the United States program that you looked up to so much in that sport. Hey, this now is, you- This is what they did. Now you are that guy. So this is still so much of a privilege and an opportunity. So that's step number one. Step number two would be I maintain very good relationships and friendships with people outside of sport. A lot of my Stanford friends, a lot of my friends from high school, a lot of my friends from elementary school, my parents and people who I had met through gymnastics or through travel or all that, I, I kept in touch with them to keep me 
sane. I can I can um, imagine that's hugely important. Oh yeah, just because anyone now can tell you because I I know some of the guys who are still living and competing and training at the training center that 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 intensity can only be sustained for so long until you you need a breather and everyone's breather is is something um whether it's you go home for a weekend like home home for the weekend whether you go on a mini vacation somewhere whether you go visit friends in different parts of the united states just to kind of get out of that just the monotony uh, of that yeah um but at the same time you know that 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 type of work and focus that is what is needed to be relevant in your sport or uh, produce at the level in which you you're expected to produce for the US team mm-hmm. uh, that's needed so it's like a that that it sounds kind of morbid that suffering <laughs> I guess that is the only way to really achieve any type of success. And this is where I have tremendous respect for not only people in gymnastics, but people across every sport, because at the end of the day, talent will only take you so far. Yeah. Some people are more talented than others, but for any pro athlete that you see at in these championships or at that level in a pro league at the Olympic games, you know, at some point they made that decision to say, you know what? I got, I have to suffer. I have to push through this because that's, that's how you reach that next, that next level of sport. That's how you can push your mind and your body, um, to level up. That's how you reach that next level. Yeah. And it's only you that can make that decision. You can have all the support team in the world, but until someone, until you do that internally, um, it, it's not going to happen. So, I, I was at the ESPYs last year, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's, it's glitz and glam and very much the the show that it is. But I was like, oh, wow, there's still a mutual respect because that athlete, whether their posse is five people, 100 people, and their agents or whatever, that sole individual had to get to a point mentally and physically where it, it, they were just – grinding it out they were they were doing whatever it takes they're pushing themselves past that breaking point mentally and physically to reach to reach their goals in the sport and that respect across the platform reigns so supreme for me um it actually kind of irks me when i see commentators who have not done anything in in any sport who uh, engage in such heated um, heated or passionate uh, rhetoric around, oh, he should have done that, she should have done that. And it's, it's so easy to be a spectator, but to actually uh, contribute and to walk, walk, their sh- walk a mile in their shoes or walk a little bit in what they had to do to get there. Yeah. And that commentator has no idea. Uh, really irks me. So I, I really reserve judgment on other sports because I was like, oh, I actually, I know for a fact that they had to do something that was very difficult to get to that level. Talent, talent is there, obviously, but it, it is. I am in no position to judge or critique anyone when I haven't done it myself. 
Yeah. So when so we eventually get to the Olympic trials and you know walk me through the process walk me through what happens and and you know how you felt yeah trials oh trials is such a fun experience for gymnastics because the as my coach would say the air is so thick um it's got to be insane i mean i can't i can't imagine working my entire life to get to a moment and having that moment finally arrive it it must be just the craziest thing yeah, it's it's I don't know. I guess the best thing I can say to describe it is it's cool. It's, <laughs> okay. It's uh Yeah, you know, ner- you can't escape the nerves cuz they're always going to be there no matter what. And it's good that they're there because it means that it's still important to you. Right. Um and it's just like, wow, you're you're in front of 15,000 people. It's being broadcast across the country. You're going one at a time. Yeah, there's background music, but it's pretty much silent in the arena. Everyone's watching, and your heart's racing a mile a minute. But you think about everything that went into play to get to that moment, and you're like, oh, wow. That in itself is really cool, really unique, and such a rare opportunity. So end of the day, whatever happens, just just go with it. Just, just, uh, just have fun and... Just go. One of my favorite movies is Secretary, and there's a there's a scene at the end where she says, "Just let him let him run, Ronnie. Let him run. Just like just go. Just kind of just just let it go. And what happens happens. And don't have a regret about it because this this opportunity is so rare to begin with. Yeah, I mean it's it's that perspective. I I think is a difficult place to get to. Probably. I mean it's and I I assume it makes you able to look back on the entire thing with, you know, a certain fondness that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise been able to. Oh, absolutely. I, a hundred percent. I, the, I will, I look back at my time in the sport and I was like, wow, I have no regrets about anything because I turned over every stone. I addressed every weakness the best that I could. And at the end of the day, I just wasn't, um, I wasn't the right player. I just, I, I couldn't reach that level of performance to be the right, to be the right player for team USA at an Olympic games. And I was like, Oh, I'm okay with that because I, I addressed everything the best way I knew how, like for example, on a, a technical component on high bar, I was really good on high bar, but I just I couldn't do a, a high bar dismount at the end of a routine to the degree of difficulty that it needed to be to not incur a, a deduction. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, like here here comes Josh with this amazing set, but he can't do a dismount. I exercised every option to. I was like, is it my grip strength? Is it my breathing? Is it my is it my weight? Because I'm a tall, very tall gymnast. I was the tallest on our national team. Is it my weight? What do I need to maximize my strength to weight ratio? Is it how I'm wearing my grips? And I, I was like, ooh, that that type of scenario of running through every technical component the best way I knew how and addressing every weakness in that food chain, I had done with every part of gymnastics. And I was like, okay, I personally don't have a regret with 
any part of my experience in gymnastics to maximize my contributions to the United States program. And I, I st I'm still very intimately involved with the U.S. Olympic Committee. I speak at – I'm actually speaking in, a, in about a month at a uh, an inclusion panel at their headquarters in Colorado. Very cool. I'm, I'm pretty well integrated and versed with all the stuff within USA Gymnastics and was actually asked to be on, be on their – or take into consideration putting my hat in play for the uh, one of the board seats that was meant specifically for a former athlete. I actually ended up not doing that based upon my diligence of the organization, um, uh, based upon all the, all the kind of shit storm that came of USA Gymnastics and Dr. Nassar and that tragic event that yeah. happened there. Um, but yeah, I look back at gymnastics. I, I don't have, um, any regret. I, 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 I don't have a complaint about my experience personally. Yeah. I know that same statement cannot be said for very many other guys and girls. And I, I recognize in that same sentence that me being able to say that I had such a pleasant experience that I was able to push myself that I was able to break physically, mentally to try and reach that ultimately didn't happen. But just saying that without the, uh, the what ifs or the, Oh, I had a, I had a problem with a selection committee or a political something or, uh, a horribly abusive experience, like with what all of these survivors and courageous women are coming forward with on the women's side. I was like to to say that I went through this program where I felt very supportive. I I felt that the opportunity was given to me to maximize my potential. That in itself is a privilege um, in in that sport. So I, I don't have any uh, qualms about anything that I did in the sport. I think that's such an impressive place to be able to get. I mean, you sound so at peace with the entire thing. Was it always like that? I mean, when you woke up the morning after trials, how are you feeling? I mean, are you, are you scared? I mean, about what comes next? I mean, there has to be some sort of feeling of loss, right? But I mean, you wake up and, and that morning, what's going through your head? Yeah, it's, it's definitely scary because for oh, all of us, we were, let's see, 20, 26 we we're mid to late 20s the the grouping of guys on the national team yeah there were a few outliers in that scenario um but yeah gymnastics and so many athletes can attest to this at that juncture where it's like okay this is all said and done this was a great exercise this was a great life exercise frankly um but you're stripped very quickly of that identity of oh you're so much of you is identified as the gymnast or the athlete. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's no longer there. So there's a huge void, um, which is a hundred percent scary and it's, you're kind of traversing the unknown, but based upon everything that you've learned in sport and in life to date, um, navigating that unknown 
that is second nature. Like you navigate that unknown every single day. Yeah. Uh, so how qu- so, how quickly do you pivot? I mean, you know, into for lack of a better term, I guess civilian life. I mean, do you give yourself a week to sort of mourn, or, or, or are you immediately thinking, all right, what I have to live the rest of my life? I mean, how quickly do you make that decision, and, and what do you do? Yeah. So throughout 2016, I had I knew that that was my last cycle. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm doing this for another four years. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got to get on with my life. I. I always recognize, and again, thanks to my parents, that I was very good at sports, very good at gymnastics, but there's a very finite window here, and I'm approaching the end to that opportunity. So throughout my time at the Olympic Training Center, um, I started looking at, okay, like job opportunities. Um, I actually ended up interning with their development team because the, the chief chief development officer for Stanford athletics was actually then chief development officer for the U S Olympic committee. So I asked for, I asked for an internship opportunity to learn kind of about the business of sports. Um, I started pinging mentors of mine from Stanford about, okay, what does a transition look like into the working world or a different professional arena? And something about politics really, caught my eye and obviously 2016 was a fascinating political, um, yeah, did something happen? Uh, yeah, some, something, I'm not really sure what, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not sure what happened either yet. Yeah. So I, the, the next steps were, I, I wanted to make that dive into politics and learning campaign at the grassroots level because that was the hot item of, of that year, specifically that summer, that fall. Um, but in terms of your question about kind of detox time, I 100% had that detox time. Uh, the guy who I was dating was based out of New York. I escaped to New York and kind of putzed around for a little bit and kind of detoxed and took my mind off of kind of ending a 20-year-long chapter of my life of, of gymnastics and um, kind of just like – took a breather that that breather that I was talking about it was a a month long breather or mm-hmm. a couple long breather before I decided to kind of kind of get to step in on the on the campaign front and politics front to see what that that professional um, encounter would look like yeah and so sort of you know, tell me what you've been doing. I mean, I know just briefly from sort of following your story and following you on social media, some of the stuff you're doing, but, you know, tell us now on, on a daily basis, what your life is like and, and what sort of fulfillment you're finding in the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I will start this with, with one, I am not a social media influencer. <laughs> Everyone's popular belief. Uh, well, listen, get- I've seen your Instagram, Josh. I mean, it looks otherwise. Yeah, I'll I'll get into that uh, as we conclude kind of my trajectory post gymnastics to where we are now. So I was I was provided the opportunity immediately after gymnastics to work on the coordinated campaign for um, Catherine Cortez Masto and Hillary Clinton in Nevada. So I I lived in Nevada for kind of the sprint to the finish toward the election. Um, and was working on their campaign team, uh, doing an, anything from 
helping voter registration efforts, leading voter registration teams, leading GOTV teams, and kind of the, the grassroots campaign work and learning that construct to help um, really turn it out for a Democratic candidate who I believed in and uh, make some history with now sitting Senator Catherine Cortez Masto um, to become the first Latina elected to the U.S. Senate and the first um, female senator from the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that opportunity was great. We worked about 20 hours a day on campaign. It was it was uh, quite insane and intense, but I knew that if if and when I ever wanted to get into that arena myself and run for, say, a congressional seat somewhere down the road, um, I needed to know what that looked like at the grassroots level. So that was a, a necessary and fun and exciting learning and opportunity that was there. From from there, um, now Senator Cortez Masto, or Senator-elect at the time, she offered me a position to be on her, her U.S. Senate staff in D.C. So I, I moved to D.C. the beginning of January 2017, uh, helped with a lot of the transition, um, obviously the Administration transition is a very fascinating and unique time uh, just to be in D.C. And given given the kind of regime change was and my own political opinions, it was a is a intensely fascinating time to be there. And good way to describe it to see what to see what that is. Um, and a lot of it was helping with her committee work. She was assigned to six different committees, helping with a lot of the administrative functions of a brand new Senate staff and just that learning. And from there, um, I was like, Oh, maybe the U S Senate is not my thing at this time. It was, it was very slow. There was a lot of turnover. I loved, I loved, I loved and currently love her as a sitting member of the U S Senate. I love, the staff and the the people, but the the work of the U.S. Senate is very slow. And I was like, oh, okay, it's it's not quite at my pace or the learning that I'm expected to do in this was wasn't really my forte at the time. So I was actually provided the opportunity to come out and kind of spearhead a, a privately held tech startup um, out in. Southern California. And from there, one of my business partners or mentor turned business partner, um, we're still very much integrated into that tech venture, but we've started to build out um, a few different business verticals from e-commerce to consulting to government affairs consulting. Um, Yeah, to kind of just have an eclectic mix of business wheelings and dealings to learn a lot in that space and private business space and uh yeah kind of just to 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 work it out in the in the business arena so it's it's been it's been really it's been an expedited learning um we've had some really cool successes with some of these companies um yeah and i've been very fortunate to have those people in my life guide me and coach me in a different arena. Well, are, uh, are, are political aspirations still glimmering? 
Yeah, I would love to. I would love to hold a. <laughs> I would love to hold a. A seat of some sort of public office. I don't know what that is, whether it's state legislature at the city level, state level, congressional level. Obviously, there are greater levels uh, within federal government. But yeah, I still have those aspirations because um, a lot of a lot of that uh, excitement and intrigue around public service stems from my own background of, hey, look, my parents adopted these three kids. I know for a fact that my life would have been very different if it weren't, if it weren't have been for my parents, if it wasn't for my parents, that in it, that in Excel for that, the life that I've had is an extreme opportunity. Mm-hmm. And if I can be in a position to help people afford the opportunities that I was given, um, through an elected official seat, whatever that looks, whatever that might look like, then I would a hundred percent welcome that opportunity. I was like, eh, I'm 29. Yeah, we still got a long way to go uh, in life, in business. I want a few successes before we take very seriously um, uh, these elected seats, whatever they look like. Um, But yeah, that's definitely not – that is not – that has not been axed out of my train of thought or what I'm excited about for – my thirties, my let's put it that way. Oh baby. I know your whole new chapter. I mean, it's exciting. I, I think it's, it's really impressive that you've been able to pivot and transition from one, you know, very intense competitive world into another. And I, I think the way that you're able to look at it, you know, from the outside and, and realize the opportunities that you've been given and, and have the desire to give back is, is, is fantastic and something that should really be commended. It's, it's, it's great what you've been able to do sort of in this, this next chapter of your life. I can't wait to see what the next one holds. I mean, you'll have to, when you're campaigning for your, uh, for whatever oh seat you're going to, you're going to have to come on the show again. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I was, uh, I was, I was joking with a lot of my classmates and teammates of like, well, as long as I have their vote down the line, yada yada yada. <laughs> you gotta lay that groundwork now. I mean, you you know, you you never know what's ahead. You got to make sure people are gonna <laughs> you know support you when the time comes. Yeah, it was uh, my 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 family. We joke about everything, and I. I'm, sorry, this was not a correct way to position this. My grandmother passed recently. I spoke at her funeral, and a lot of a lot of her friends. She was ninety eight years old. A lot of family, friends, and everyone, they're significantly older, like 70s and above. And a lot of them came up to myself and my parents after the service. I was like, oh, my God, Josh, like, that was a great speech you gave, like, very articulate. And I was like, thank you so much. I would like your vote down the road. I need need the senior citizen vote. I was going to say, if you get the senior citizen vote, man, you're golden. (laughs) And I I would – so I would joke about that with my parents, and they're like, "Oh my god, Josh, you're so stupid." But I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh man, I love it. You're a planner, you know." But uh, and one of my classmates, um, which actually is a perfect segue into the, I have to touch on the social media thing while I have the please, platform. Please, I want you, I want you to to explain it as as thoroughly as you need. Yes, um, 
So one of my, it also ties into this whole politics potential running for something. So social media, I've garnered a presence or acquired a presence through sports, which was first and foremost of like, oh, hey, this guy's pretty good at sports. Let's follow let's him. Let's follow him on his, his journey in the world of sports and gymnastics. Um, since then, I've been able to speak for organizations around LGBT inclusion, specific, specifically in the sports world. So that kind of added another component to the social media visibility or the weird popularity contest that it is. Yeah. Since then, literally random, random connects through these brands who think I'm something or visible or have a unique story of which I was like, yeah, you're right. I do actually do have a unique story. Um, we've partnered to do some of these campaigns and really cool campaign work or help highlight some of their brands or brand activations for obviously a contractual basis, some of which are just product exchange, some of which are have a monetary basis to it. But I use those funds to fund a scholarship program that I have for my high school and my middle school. Uh, for my middle school, it goes to the track and field program. Um, there's a there's a Derek Jackson award that I was awarded when I was a sixth grader mm. that gives a pair of track spikes to a sixth, seventh, and eighth grader um, to say, hey, we appreciate your value to this team. We appreciate your hard work. We appreciate that you're really trying to build out the the ethics and ethos of what being a student athlete looks like and you're learning it when you're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And so I've, I've, ex, I've used some of these brand partnership funds to expand on the Derek Jackson award, um, to provide additional track and field spikes for, of anyone's choosing to the kids who are awarded the Derek Jackson award. So I've, I've increased the funding for that. That's amazing. And then for a high school level, um, the, these brand partnerships, it filters into, the Willowden High School Scholarship Foundation, which Rebecca, my one of my very good friends from I've known her since I was 11 years old, um, my contributions to that are from these brand partnerships, and we're actually we're we're currently reading over this year's applicants for this college scholarship that we're giving, and we're awarding the scholarship funded by these or half funded by these social media engagements that I do. Rebecca matches what I bring in, um, through that effort to award, uh, a college scholarship for a college going senior. And this is the second year we've done it. Last year we gave it to a girl by the name of Adeline Pagwirigan. Um, and I was actually recently in touch with her around like, Oh my God, thank you so much for the college scholarship. It's not a full ride by any means, but if we're able to alleviate the financial burden uh, of these students coming from our high school alma mater. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm able to do it in a creative way via these social media brand partnerships or engagements, then I was like, Oh, I think this is a, a creative and useful and impactful way to use a platform, which is typically served as a, a vanity play or, <laughs> or a popularity contest. And I was, I was joking in my forever 
flip and just candid and always making humor of something. I was like, guys, if I have to flash some titties for for these kids <laughs> to get college scholarships, I am 100% going to do that because it, it is of no cost to me to do this. Yeah. And the people benefiting at the end of the day are these high school seniors who have worked their ass off to get into these universities, which are really expensive. And if I could help subsidize that using my own platform or voice or aesthetic, then I think it's genius. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. I mean, we've had some fruitful things come of it and it's fun. And at the end of the day, it's also really cool to connect with the people who manage these brands and who, who are the, the marketing gurus and marketing geniuses of these, these consumer brands that we all use um, and just to connect with them at the human level. So I, I think that's an, an added perk to, Oh, Hey, yeah. Like, yeah, I know, I know, I now know the marketing team who does all of the stuff for Equinox or, or La Mer or Mini Cooper. I was like, oh, those are cool, cool people to know and cool connections to have. Yeah. I mean, it's a very sort of savvy 2019 way to do activism. It's, I think it's like genius. I, I love it. And you're so, also, you're also, pro, I mean, you're providing a service for all, you know, for the, for the students who are getting scholarships and all this stuff, you're also providing us a service for all of us, giving us something nice to look at. So I <laughs> appreciate, I appreciate that as well. I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're, Pretty hurt. yes, yes, yes. You're firing on all cylinders here. Well, you've, uh, you've got my vote, Josh. That's all. If there's one thing that I want you to know, leaving this conversation, you have my vote, you have my support. Perfect. That was oh, that was my purpose line A to B done. We got done. it done. <laughs> well, listen, listen, man. Thank you so much for the time. It, it's a fantastic story. Your life has been has been so interesting, and and I think a testament to you is the fact that it's just getting even more interesting from here. So I can't wait to see everything that you're going to do. Yeah. Thanks again for for having me, and I look forward to one just meeting you in person and kind of keeping a continued dialogue. But yeah, this was great. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you uh, enjoyed the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Like I said, I think Josh brings a lot to the table. I mean, a lot of the stuff he talked about in terms of finding purpose in life and being able to transition, I I think that certainly extends far beyond the world of sports. Uh, And like I said, I can't wait to see what Josh is going to do. We all do have to throw our support behind Josh if he does indeed run for office, uh, which I think he should. Right. Pretty impressive guy. Uh, so thank you very much to Josh for his time. Like I said, uh, we'll, we'll keep tabs on everything that he's doing. I, I think there are big things in his future. So thanks for listening. Appreciate your time. Until next time, Daniel Trainer, same team signing off. Bye. Bye.